Welcome to the Special Needs Travel Podcast, a Lily and Magnolia Travel Production. I'm your host, Tina Farmer. I'm a mom of two wonderful little boys, one of which is on the autism spectrum. I'm a travel advisor, an IBCCS certified autism travel professional, and an accessible travel advocate. I believe travel is for everyone, and that's why on this podcast, we address ways to make travel accessible and successful for everyone. For more information about what I do and who I serve, head on over to www.lilyandmagnoliatravel.com. Hey buddy, why do you want to go to Mexico so badly? Because of the volcanoes. Do you mean the temples? Yeah. And why else do you want to go to Mexico? Because Dia Muertos. <laughs> yeah, Dia de los Muertos, the Day of the Dead. Why do you want to go to see the Day of the Dead celebrations? Because it's very soon. It is really soon. It's happening uh, 1 November, right? Yeah. And maybe we can remember your grandma on Dia de los Muertos? Yeah. That would be a great way to remember remember her, huh? Yeah. Good morning and welcome to episode 5 of the Special Needs Travel Podcast. I'm a part of the Trav Market Media Network, a network of travel podcasters talking about, well, travel. We help other travel agents identify and learn about unique traveling clients, travel topics, and so much more. So take a few minutes to reach out to Trav Market Media and listen to all the podcasts on the network. And I am your host, Dina Farmer of Lily and Magnolia Travel, and I am so, so, so thrilled to have on this episode a chat with a mom I've been following on Instagram for a while. Marquita Arlette is a mom with a daughter with autism that didn't let her daughter's diagnosis stop her from traveling Southeast Asia and beyond. Her story and her travels are truly inspirational to me and made me realize, as a mother with a child with autism, that our travels didn't have to stop just because my son was diagnosed with autism. Instead, we change the narrative of our travels and make accommodations for my son to give him space to seek sensory, moments of quiet, and little electronics, and tons of fun exploring the world and getting his 1,001 questions answered. Once you've heard her story and how possible it is to travel the world, you'll be ready to pack your bags and get on the road with your family. And as a travel agent, you'll be better equipped to know what families with autism experience while they're on the road. Marquita Arlett is an IBCCS certified autism travel professional, a digital storyteller, photographer, and content creator for Triumph on a Quest. Her mission over the past seven years has been to show families that adventure doesn't have to end when you enter parenthood or receive a special needs diagnosis. She aims to inspire and empower people and families to show up authentically while navigating unfamiliar spaces that are not traditionally occupied by people of color and tell their stories. Marquita has a passion for exploration, learning, and capturing unique stories that highlight families of color and special needs travelers. Her platform focuses on topics related to travel, parenting, autism, SPD, ADHD, world schooling, and at the end of August, full-time RV living. I have to say right away that Marquita and I discovered that we knew each other, well not knew each other, but uh, we have a unique circumstance in which um, I was watching an episode of her YouTube channel where she was visiting Japan and she dropped the name of a place called The Viking, which is a Japanese barbecue, otherwise known as yakiniku. Um, And I thought it was kind of unusual that she knew of the name of this place. 
and I reached out to her and said, ah, I wonder, um, could you share with me why you know about the Viking? And she said, oh, it was because I was stationed in Misawa, Japan, which newsflash, that was also my very first base when I was in the Air Force. And we both <laughs> happened to be serving in the Air Force at the exact same time at the exact same base. And um, for some strange reason, we never ran into each other, but it's really, it's amazing how small the world is, but also how teeny tiny the Air Force can also be. It's like, what are the chances of of running into somebody that you were you were stationed at the same base with them and then you stumble on their YouTube videos. So just let this little snippet of story of my life go to show that the world is truly amazing place and super duper tiny. So I'm so inspired and pleased to have Marquita on the podcast. And I thank you so, so much for listening to this one. It's full of a lot of information. I know it's a much longer episode, but there is a lot that Marquita and I talk about that is very, very relevant to special needs families, um, in particular uh, families with autism, and some juicy stuff that travel agents really, really need to be aware of, but also stuff that um, the travel industry as a whole maybe you should consider changing from some of the topics that we're talking about. I'm so, so thankful to Marquita for her time. So I'm super excited to share Marquita's story, but before we do that, let's take a few minutes to listen to a message from my sponsors. I am your host, Dina Farmer, and today I have a really awesome guest on my show today, is Marquita of Tribe on a Quest, who is uh, the founder (laughs) of her Instagram and blog, and basically shares her travel life with her family um, and traveling the world with a child of autism. I probably am not doing her introduction justice, so I'm going to allow Marquita to go ahead and take it over and introduce herself to my listeners. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Thanks so much, Dina, for having me. I am so humbled to be here. Hi to all of your listeners. Um, You did a great job of introducing me. (laughs) Basically, like you said, I'm Marquita. Um, I am an IBCCES certified autism travel professional. Um, I'm also a digital storyteller, photographer, content creator. I do all of the things. I wear all of the hats for Tribe on a Quest. Um, And we have, we started the this platform or started sharing our journey because as a, a new family, I felt like so many people feel like you travel and then you have kids or you have kids and then you wait to travel once you're retired. And I really wanted to show people that you can travel and like your adventure doesn't have to end because you become a parent. But then on top of that, that um, because your child has a special needs diagnosis, it shouldn't mean that you have to be confined to your home and you can't experience travel. And so that is my goal is to inspire and empower people to show up authentically and particularly for families of color, for them to really show up and to tell their stories. So that is so, and I, um, I, we were talking a little bit before this, <laughs> we started recording. Um, and uh, I wanted to dive in a little bit more about what we were talking about, which is what inspired you to decide to start traveling with your family, as well mm-hmm. as um, talking a little bit about fam- um, excuse me, travel families in general. 
Mm-hmm. So uh, when I, I, I don't remember when it was, it was probably back in like early or late 2016, I was on YouTube and somehow came across uh, the Bucket List family and they were traveling full time. And it seems like such a simple concept, but for me, it like really blew my mind that families were quitting their jobs and they were traveling the world full time with their kids. And then from there, I kind of fell into the rabbit hole of world schooling and road schooling and all of these other ways to just really be present with your kids and spend time with them. Um, But I also was hit with the reality that I have a child that has special needs. Um, My daughter is on the spectrum. Um, She's high functioning, which really means not a whole lot of anything when it comes to behavior modifications and other things. But she also has some other coexisting things like anxiety. And so I, I quickly backtracked and said, there's no way that we can travel with all of the issues that we have um, with her and her medications and other things. And then one day I just said, you know what, it's not okay that I and other families that have kids with special needs should not be exposed to the rest of the world. Um, We should be able to open up our children's world and let them explore as much as they want. Um, And then we just make those modifications. And so it kind of started there. And the more I started sharing and the tips I started sharing, I realized that this was valuable information for other families. And so that's kind of how Tribe on a Quest has expanded to what it is today. So I've been following Marquita and her family um, with my previous Instagram account before I started in travel. And I, I personally, which is why I decided to become certified with IBCCS as well, um, is just that there just doesn't seem to, it seems like there's more neurotypical families that travel out there and it doesn't yes. seem to be resources, yes. for, um, especially in the autism area um, of yes. travel, there doesn't seem to be a lot of like this, there's sensory programs and, you know, um, it just seems like my, our only option sometimes without like thorough planning and research is theme parks. And I don't know, yes. I always want to go to a theme park with my kids, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but that's why I appreciate things like this, where we can talk about, uh, how there's different things. Like I know some hotel suppliers are now becoming, um, aware and making programs, for um, sensory uh, individuals or um, yes. autism, which I'm like, oh, fine. <laughs> mm-hmm. you know? Yes, you're absolutely correct. It When we started, I mean, it's only been a couple of years. We started our full-time travel journey in 2017. Mm-hmm. But even since then, I've it's been really refreshing and gives me hope hope for the future, um, for what special needs and autism travel will look like, because you're right, theme parks were kind of the first ones to jump on this. And even then it was kind of like, it started with Sesame Place and, you know, it's kind of created a snowball effect where other, um, theme parks jumping on the bandwagon to make sure that they are accommodating all of their guests. But after you, when you step out of the realm of theme parks, you're kind of on your own. And that is a really scary feeling to think, hey, I mean, other families, I feel like neurotypical families can Mm -hmm. look on Instagram and they can scroll and they can say, oh, like they can just, it's kind of like closing your eyes and putting your finger on a map. 
and just say, I want to go there. And you can just, for the most part, you can go there, be like, have the financial means. That's like the biggest barrier, I think, for most people is financial means. Mm -hmm. But when you look at the intersections, particularly for my family, we are a Black, a queer family with a child with special needs. And so that like closing our eyes and putting our finger on a map just doesn't exist. There's so much research that's required. And then even when we're like boots on the ground, I still have to be kind of hyper vigilant to know what it is that I need to be doing to make sure that my daughter's needs are completely being met and that we're not having meltdowns in the middle of uh, Shibuya, which is something that's happened. Like, <laughs> oh, I've been there. I've been, oh my God. I, my, we, we were just talking about too, how we were actually stationed in Japan at the same time, which is so funny. Mm-hmm. Or at the same pace, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, but like we, we recently took a trip as well to Tokyo and my son had a meltdown in the middle of the crossroads in Shibuya. And I was just like, I got to get him out of the middle of the road. <laughs> right. <laughs> <You know>? <laughs> right. Because <laughs> Shibuya moves so fast. First, yeah. you're going to get ran over. And then as yeah. soon as the crosswalks are done, like, then the traffic is going. So it's, <laughs> it's crazy. Yes. crazy. There's something about Shibuya that apparently causes. <laughs> Don't go there. If you have a Don't go there. Exactly. Don't go there. Stay away from Shibuya, please. <laughs> But then it's like funny when we went to Meiji Jinja, like he was totally fine. Like he was mm-hmm. just calm. He wanted to wash everybody's hands before they went. <laughs> I did it for like 20 minutes and I was like, you know what? I, I, I don't, I don't have anywhere to be. So why not? Mm-hmm. Why? Yes. I think that's the beauty of being able to travel full time and versus like on a vacation because you don't have anywhere to be. And so I think you were, when we were talking offline before, you were talking about the differences between slow travel and fast travel. And I think if I could do things over again, I would travel so much slower. I felt like we were trying to cram in so much at one time that it was difficult for her, but also it was, it was harder to have those moments of like, we don't have anywhere to be, but in, like I was, I kind of structured it like a vacation. So we did have places to be. So, but I had to learn how to relinquish that control because, you know, our kids don't do well with transitions. And so when they're in the groove and they're enjoying the most innocent parts of the vacation, sometimes you have to just step back and take a breath and just let them have that. Cause you know, it's not just about you when you're traveling as an entire family. So, and that's, I feel like that's something that I, when we first started traveling, like I definitely lost sight of was like, we got to go here. We got to go there. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's like, but he has special needs and, um, he, you know, he needs more time to experience things. And like, if I plan, you know, of course I'm going to plan stuff differently for my own clients, but if I plan one or two activities a day, I feel like we have accomplished so much, you know? Yes. Yes. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But then I was going to say that you also have, I mean, not only are you um, a a black woman, but then you're queer and then you have a child with autism. So Mm -hmm. already like all three of those challenges make it so like difficult to go out and see the world because, you know, some places aren't accepting of um, LGBT Q and then Mm -hmm. some places are not safe for black people to travel. And then uh, some places also don't have accommodations for special needs. So it's like, how do you get out in the world? You know? 
So it is really a juggling act. Um, and I, that's probably one of the most asked questions that I get because um, people see all of the places that I've been and they say, well, how do you determine where you're going to go? And right. so a lot of it is based on budget. I tell a lot of my clients and you know friends, once you're out of the States, it's a whole lot easier to move around. It's that first sticker shock of just getting off of the U.S. soil. And then after that, you know, in Europe, you can ride the train or other things. But I have to really figure out where it is that we're going. And then I start diving into like Facebook groups and Googling and I kind of do it in layers. And so the first thing is that when someone looks at me, they see that I'm a black woman. So it doesn't matter any other identity that I have at the end of the day, I'm, they see that I'm black first. Um, I also have children that are fair skinned. And so I have to take that into consideration. Am I going to be perceived as the nanny or other things? So I kind of... (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Mm -hmm. So I'll go into um, a really good friend of mine, Karen Akpan. She is also a Black mama and um, her family travels full time and she runs their group Black Kids Do Travel. And so they're usually the first place that I go is that I'll like just Google the desk. I'll just enter the destination to the search box of that group um, and see what other experiences that other Black families have had there. If I can't find anything there, then I have other travel groups. there is a black travel movement group and then there's like black moms on the go or like wandering moms. There's all these other groups that I'm in that I just start digging through there. And from that point, I can get also ideas for activities and start building my itinerary. Once I start doing that, then I start figuring out, okay, what things are realistic for my daughter and her um, abilities and her needs. And from there, then I have to build an itinerary. There's no just really winging it for us, I have to have some kind of structure or it'll just, the whole thing will fall apart on the road. That totally makes sense. And I, I was, I just like honed in on what you said about your daughters being light skinned. Cause my, um, <laughs> my little boys both look very Filipino. Um, mm-hmm. so I always, I get that. I feel like I get that question constantly on the road, which is like, Oh, are you babysitting them? Like, oh, yes. I birthed oh. those two children. Thank exactly. you very much. Like, <laughs> I can't control, um, genetics. But. Exactly. Yes. Um, Great. we got that a lot in Southeastern Asian countries. Um, to the point of, you know, you see in like, black travel groups and they're like people were staring at me constantly in asia or in china and we got that but we also those who could communicate um would say you know so at the time i was married i'm now divorced and single but at the time i was traveling with my um partner and Mm -hmm. so you have these two black women that are both visibly black and then you have these two super light-skinned children and so blue eyes i Yes, she does. Yes, she has blue eyes and they change from like blue to green to gray. Like, and so she definitely like, they look like me, but they don't really look like me. And so we would get people that are like, are you the nanny? And I'm like, no, these are my, like, I spent good money to have these children be be brought into the world. (laughs) And I put my body through a lot of trauma for them to be here. They belong to me. And so um, it's also really difficult to get age kind of countries that you're in and saying like, do I come out in this moment Mm -hmm. or do I just like go along with it for safety reasons? And so in some places it's just kind of like you laugh it off and just like, no, they're mine. And then some people will delve even farther and be like, oh, well, their father must be, you know, they'll 
insert some ethnicity, like, right. are their father? And I'm like, no, they're not. Like, <laughs> and so it's kind of like some people on the trip were very persistent. We got it a lot in Malaysia. Oh, um, really? Yes. Mm-hmm. Oh, and it was wow. very interesting. We were sitting in a restaurant and it was almost like we call it the fishbowl effect. Like everyone in the restaurant, it kind of stopped eating and it felt like we were in a zoo while they just kind of watched us watched us and then the waitress that came over and asked you know oh they're so beautiful are they yours and I'm like yes I didn't kidnap these random light-skinned children they're mine (laughs) (laughs) so yeah (laughs) yeah it's really interesting that um the dynamics and how like it's just another intersection of like colorism and how that plays Mm -hmm. in when you have darker skinned parents and lighter skinned children but we all Mm -hmm. identify as black and it's just really it's it's a challenge so yeah I totally agree and I feel like I mean that's not like that's that's not to say that doesn't happen in this country because it definitely does especially in the military community and like oh my god (laughs) to be the most like understanding and accepting of like different <laughs> people, like right. it should be the military, but I've definitely gotten questions often. As yes, like, in the states, like, definitely, I've yeah. gotten it both. And you know, we lived in Seattle for a while. I got it more there than anything else, which really is irritating. But right? still, in the South as well, like I've gotten the "Are you the nanny?" and I'm like, "Uh, no." And my <laughs> oldest is old enough to be like, "Excuse you, this is my mom." <laughs> but yes. My gosh, that is so fun. I'm so glad that she can advocate for you and herself, though, too. Yes, yes. That's like, when you're, I feel like when your child, especially one that's high-functioning like ours are, then you're Mm -hmm. like, yes, fine, you can, like, advocate for yourself, and I'm so so glad we got there. I'm so glad. Yes, Um, So, we talked a little bit about traveling, but, um, and, like, how it affects us, like, as women of color, um, Mm -hmm. But what has been the best part about traveling with your family, especially when you're looking at those um, hurdles to get out there on the road? You know, I really feel so blessed that we had the time to travel completely full time because I feel like I had a unique opportunity to really get to know my little humans. Um, When I was working and when my partner at the time was working, you know, life gets so busy. And even when you have those family vacations, it's just, it's like almost like you're on managing mode the whole time. It's like, you know, that you only have five days to spend with your kids and you're shelling out money to go to a theme park or like, to go somewhere really nice. And so you're you're adding in all of these aspects, but at the same time, you really don't have that downtime because you just know that you've got this set block of time and that's it. And when we were on the road, I felt like I really got the opportunity to spend one-on-one time with my oldest daughter um, in moments that weren't in crisis. So um, again, with those intersections of having a special needs child, I wasn't having to just manage her symptoms. We could really just take the time to get to know each other. And I learned, you know, what her favorite colors were or like what her thoughts were. And they were things as I reflected back in my childhood that I kind of wish that I could have had with my parents. I was a latchkey kid. And so my parents worked all the time. And when I got older and I realized like, I know my mom's favorite color, but I don't know, you know, what's her favorite marine animal or like where does she want to travel and these were the conversations that I got to have with my oldest but also traveling with an infant I felt like 
now that she's older, she's so much more independent because she had that opportunity of knowing like my people are right here. I see them when I wake up. They're the last faces I see when I go to sleep. I'm carried everywhere. And it just, like I get to try all these different foods. Like that baby, she does not like to be in the house. She wants to be on the go because she's, she spent the, you know, six to eight months of her life just on the road, meeting new people and seeing new things. And so it really gave me this opportunity to really get to know my kids. Um, if I could do it all over again, no shade to my ex-partner. She knows I feel this way. I wish that I could have done it with, you know, in a, a loving like relationship, because I think that I could have also had that opportunity to get to know my partner in a different way. But, you know, one day that will happen. But in terms of the kids, it was really nice to get to experience these things. And right. Um, I don't think it was just, it wasn't the big things. It was, you know, in Paris, yes, you have the Eiffel Tower that's there, but it would be like the little things of like watching the kids run around in front of the Eiffel Tower, like doing kids stuff in these amazing places that they just, they could, could care less that it was the Eiffel Tower. They were just being kids and enjoying that. And that just, those are the memories that make my heart smile versus like, I've gone to all of these places. It's really just, I was able to be present and in the moment with them. Yeah. Oh, I love that. And I, um, I can sympathize <laughs> about the partner thing for sure. Um, but I, I think that's one of my favorite things. Hold on. There's an airplane flying. Over <laughs> I, that's something I don't miss. Like I remember being in Misawa sometimes and those F-16s would fly over the office and my chest <laughs> would be rumbling. Exactly. The whole, cause I lived on base in the dorms and my whole apartment would just be shaking. Oh. Um, and I'm like, while they're flying sorties, I'm like, can we not? <laughs> like, this is terrible. Exactly. <laughs> oh, oh gosh. But what I was trying to say was, that, um, one of my favorite things about traveling with my son in particular is that he, um, he doesn't know any strangers when it comes to pe- his peers. So um, we we were in Tokyo, and this also happened in Hawaii. But in Tokyo in particular, I remember is that we, we were like about to fly out back to Honolulu. And um, we found a park. And I was like, just go play. It's fine. The Japanese are, you know, if you want to parallel play, I'm not going to judge you. But he mm-hmm. just decided to walk up to some Japanese kids. And even though they couldn't speak the same language, they still found a way to play with each other through mm-hmm. like hand <laughs> signals, you know? Mm-hmm. And I was just like, that is so amazing that he's just, it's just like, well, I'm just going to play. They're all about the same age as me. And that's, that's the end of that. There was no like, I'm the, Oh, I can't play with you. Or, you know, right. Scream at you because you don't speak English, you know? Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And I yes. thought that was amazing. I really, yeah. I love that part of traveling, especially with kids and, like trying to carve out time to just go to the playground. Like I think so many families don't think about, you know, they think about doing all the things that cost money or, you know, all these, like just take your kids to the playground and let them have a blast. They will figure it out. Like, Mm -hmm. cause play is universal. It doesn't have a specific language and they'll figure it out. Like you said, with the hand signs or whatever else. And that definitely was something that we did. We went to, um, there was like an indoor play place in Malaysia and it was the same thing. Like the, my oldest doesn't, didn't speak the same language, but they just figured out how to play. Cause you know, all it playing is a whole lot of giggling and running around anyway. So 
they just muddled their way through it. And it just, yeah, yeah, I love that. I love how kids don't have that barrier up as adults. When we travel, we kind of are like, how do I go so-and-so because I don't speak the language and kids just don't have that built in. They're just like, whatever, I'm going to figure it out. So exactly. Exactly. I feel like that, I'm sorry to take that back to you. Like, I feel like that's something that happened in when I was visiting my family in Turkey, um, like our, we don't have a lot of kids yet <laughs> in my mm-hmm. family. So he doesn't, my boys don't have cousins to really play with. So mm-hmm. he's had to play with kids that are around the neighborhood. And um, of course, uh, I don't speak Turkish because my parents got a divorce before I was able to learn it. Mm-hmm. Um, so like my, that means my boys don't either. Um, and my oldest son just had to figure it out. Like, all right, mm-hmm. well, I'm going to play with these Turkish kids and we're going <laughs> to... You're gonna make right. it somehow. Well, I mean, he's Turkish too, but um, whatever. Mm-hmm. But, uh, so yeah, that's like oh, but sorry. And then the, I don't know if you experienced this during your travels too, but I feel like when you have a baby as well, it bridges some weird gap between people. Yes. And, yes. Yeah. and like, yes. I like, walk up to us, and I was like, I don't. Why are you? <laughs> yes. About my baby. If you want to come over here, but yes, babies yeah. are the ultimate travel icebreaker. So yeah. families out there who are concerned about traveling, like right. have your baby, just like wear your baby, and that yeah. breaks down so many barriers. Um, being in Bali, like it was one of the most kid-friendly places I've ever been, and she was just like the icebreaker. People would just come up to us, young, old, little kids, like, and it just, it really just broke down that barrier of like we're two different people from two different places. We don't speak the language, but somehow that baby was just like the medium in between of like it doesn't matter. Everybody knows how to coo at a baby and play with the baby. So <laughs> that's a hundred percent. Yeah, it's true. Yeah. <laughs> say how many times I keep talking about Turkey because we spent a really lot like we spent two months there over the summer oh, wow yeah but I mean you know my family is there so I I had a free room and board <laughs> <laughs> um but I just felt like when I would go out with my parents um Turkish people would just come up to my youngest son and just scoop him up like mm. well, he's my baby now I'm like what are you yeah. doing <laughs> the, the culture you know that they were just like well this I just love babies and like Turkish yes. people love children period Mm-hmm. Um, but it just felt like they would just come and like, if I was struggling to eat or something, especially with him in my arms, somebody, like some stranger would pop up like out of the yes. woodwork and be like, here, let me hold him. You eat. Yes. Like, oh, okay. <laughs> exactly. I think you bring up a really good point that a lot of people don't realize when they're also planning international travel is that culture and like the level of comfort zones that we have as Americans of like, don't touch me, don't come in my space. Yeah. And it's one of those things. I see it in the travel groups all the time. And it's like a source of an argument because so many people are like, no, I don't come into my space. I don't care if you've never seen a black person before. And I had to really get rid of that notion really quickly because yeah. You can't expect an entire, it's, I think it's that entitled American privilege that we have sometimes (laughs) that we enter into the world in of like, oh no, in America, we don't just enter into people's space and you can't touch my hair. That's super offensive. And, you know, and I think about like places in China, like that have most likely, I'm probably the first black person they've ever seen that wasn't either on like maybe, maybe TV, that's a stretch or like (laughs) on some other kind of 
platform, but I'm like a black person in the flesh. And then I have these interesting children. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, yes, it's annoying that people come in and they touch you or they, you know, want to feel your hair or they want to take pictures of you. But it's like one of those comfort zone things that you kind of have to step back and realize that this is a cultural exchange and that it is for the benefit of both parties of the kids getting to know these are cultural norms, but also us as adults of like, okay, no one's going to kidnap my kid, um, <laughs> hopefully. <laughs> Hoping not, but like, yeah. and you're right, like scooping them up. I, when we were in Fiji, the mm-hmm. baby was having the most difficult time. I think she was teething and I was trying to juggle and we were passing her back and forth and we weren't able to eat. And the, like this big loving grandmotherly type woman comes from the back from the kitchen. She like scoops the baby up. We do not speak the same language. And she just like puts her hand down in that way of like, like the same way that my grandma would be like, no, you eat. I have the baby. And I was just like, you know what? Thank you. That's what I needed. I needed you to come in and tell me no, uh, uh-uh. uh, sit down. You eat a hot meal that I set back there and cooked, right. and I will take care of this child. And my daughter was, she was perfectly fine. She was like, "Oh yay, I get to like snuggle up in with this grandmotherly type person." Right. You know, I, of course, I kept an eye on it, but like it was the first hot meal that I probably had in a week. So <laughs> it was really nice. The kindness of strangers. <laughs> and then that whole like. Um, that village mentality too that yes. seems more prevalent overseas yes. than it does stateside where yes. it's like everybody's like well it's a child and we're all raising it together even if we're not you know and yes. I'm just like that is I just appreciate that about yes <laughs> absolutely mm-hmm. yes beautiful so great <laughs> um so I have my notes here and you can correct me if I'm wrong but I think you are currently full-time RVers, is that correct? Yes, we're actually transitioning into being full-time RVers. Um, it is fairly new for us, but yes, we will be living full-time in our fifth-wheel RV. Her name is Emerald Jade. Um, <laughs> she is actually <laughs> she's named after the uh, Negro Motorist Green Book, so I wanted to try to find a way to honor the fact that in my parents' generation, mm-hmm. road tripping in this country was not a luxury. It was not a privilege. Right. And um, I felt like I could not just, I have to name all of my things anyway. And so I was like, you know, I don't want to just name her Greenie or, you know, something crazy. I was like, let's find some green variation so that way mm-hmm. I can, you know, continue to carry my ancestors and the shoulders that I stand upon for those who have laid the groundwork for me. Cause it's just, you know, it's another one of those things as a person of color. Um, that's not a luxury that we've just been able to have is just go and grab an RV and then mm-hmm. see the world or see our country. Or, I mean, even the world, you know, anything that's land connected, you know, go right. to Canada, go to Mexico. That hasn't been something that our um, previous generations of black folks have been able to do. And so it, it humbles me every time I step into my RV that I get to live this life and that, I can move about freely in some places. I feel like I still need the Negro motorist screen book to know where I can yeah. stop, but yes. <laughs> I mean, some places even in Georgia, I'm just like, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Yes, oh, yes. So. <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. definitely in the South. I'm yeah. 
I don't know where I should stop. And, you know, it's crazy that the term sundown town still applies to a lot of places Mm -hmm. in this country. Um, And it's something that people just don't, I don't even think they recognize it and they take it for granted that you can't just stop and get gas anywhere. And you can't let your tank get below a half a tank when you're road tripping, because Mm -hmm. you don't want to end up somewhere that you end up, you know, in a really awful situation because it's still scary out there. So very scary. And I, um, I haven't, I haven't, I, I'm entertaining the idea of a small home, but Mm -hmm. I don't know about an RV yet, but (laughs) um, I remember that I, I got, uh, I retrained in the Air Force to public affairs before I I separated, Uh Um, but I was in the Air National Guard and they sent me to Fort Meade, Maryland. Mm -hmm. And at the time we were stationed in um, Tucson, Arizona. And I had to drive uh, because I wasn't allowed um, a rental car for my Mm. tech school. So I had to drive from Tucson to Maryland. Oh my goodness. And I mean, that is a long drive. That is a long drive. Yes. 30 something hours Mm -hmm. um, by myself. (laughs) Okay. So of course I'm like, you know, I'm a woman of color driving across the country by myself. And I found myself in West Virginia and I was on a path and I was like, going to pee my pants. I was so scared. Mm-hmm. Was West Virginia period. And I managed to get like across the state line. Um, I think it was to Maryland. And I was just like, okay. Exactly. Huge sigh of relief. Yeah. <laughs> so glad I made it because I, you know, I, I know that that area doesn't have a great reputation in general mm-hmm. as being safe mm-hmm. for black people. And I was just terrified that like, if I had stopped at a gas station, like what, would be the ramifications of my right. stopping, you know? Right, exactly. So scary, and it shouldn't be that way, but... It shouldn't, but yes. Even in 2020, that is the reality. And um, I think that to back up a little bit to like family travel, I think a lot of family travel is focused very much on like international travel. And right. I think that it kind of is a disservice that we um, overlook that domestic travel. Yeah. Um, because, because of those implications as being a family of color or as people of color in general that, you know, road tripping, you know, so many people you hear of like, yeah, I'm just going to get in the car and road trip. And it's, you know, as folks of color, we don't have that. We need to know where it is for us to, to stop. And I see it even now because I think due to COVID that is going to become our new way of traveling is road tripping. And I've started to see a lot of people being like, where can I stop? Where can I not stop? And it just, it makes me sad. I mean, it makes me happy that there are spaces that people can ask these questions, but it also makes me very sad that we have not come very far from the Negro motorist screen book that like, that book was needed to know where can you get gas? Where can you stop? Where can you not stop? You know, where should you just keep on pushing even if you're tired? And here we are in 2020 and we just need really an abridged, updated version of that in that same book for Black folks and folks of color who are trying to travel in this country. And that's just sad. My next question is a little bit negative and then we're going to bring it back up. <laughs> sure. This stuff. So um, as an international traveler, what has, so it's a combination question, what has been the least, what has been your least favorite place to visit slash where have you felt the most unsafe um, while traveling in the world or like country wise, I should say. So as a, 
and this is going to break my heart to say it because I don't know that I've ever shared it um, out loud. So as a Black queer woman, um, one of the most places that I felt unsafe was unfortunately in Africa. Um, yes, uh, we did not travel as a family. I am in a a previous life or in my other career. Um, I was a doula and a trained midwife and I was going to, uh, Uganda to do a birth doula training there. And I remember having to really go back in the closet, um, to the point that, my other counterparts that I was traveling with, like they knew that I was queer. They knew at the time that I had a partner and I was like, you cannot say anything about my partner. And if I mention anything about a spouse, I'm going to use male pronouns because um, at the time they were, there was all of the news coverage about killing the gays and that it was going to be, you know, punishable by death. And that terrified me. Even being someone, you know, the majority of people I'm straight passing. Um, My partners, however, are masculine presenting. And so um, it makes it very clear when we're together that we are a queer couple. But right. when I'm by myself, it's the assumption that I have a husband. So I have that privilege of doing that. But I will never forget that we were riding in the car and we had a driver and um, we had built a rapport with him. But one of my counterparts at the time had said something about my wife and I froze. I felt like I could feel ice creeping through my veins right. because I was so scared of like, you know, I've met this man and I know this man, but does that mean, what is his personal beliefs about gay people? What does he think about them? You know, am I going to be safe when I go back to my hotel room this evening? You know, because it's not always just the death part that comes along with being queer. It's sometimes as a queer woman, it's um, male privilege or toxic masculinity that results in sexual assault because you're queer. And so all of those things ran into my head and I was kind of terrified the rest of the trip. It all turned out fine. Nothing was an issue, but that's probably been the most scared that I've ever been. And I solo travel a lot. And it was just because of that one piece. Um, In terms of places that I don't like, I've actually really liked everywhere. Um, China, (laughs) but China was kind of like, one of my not so favorite places. I loved seeing all of the monuments mm-hmm. that I, but I just didn't like, there was so many people. And as an American, there's just no personal space. And we're so used to having our personal space. And um, there was just so many people and, you know, the running everywhere and <laughs> <laughs> like for lines and like, right. it, it just, it was very overwhelming for all of us. Like it just was a lot in the picture taking and the touching. We had to take right. a whole day to just be in our hotel room and just like, have, so that we could recover from that. All and the just, touching, right? Exactly. All yeah. the touching and the touching of the hair. And like, right. you know, as a black woman, my as a black woman with really long locks, my first reflex, when someone reaches for my hands, almost like a karate chop, like, whoa, no, <laughs> don't, don't touch my hair. Like, <laughs> and my daughter's even sing like the Solange, don't touch my hair song. Like that is our mantra. <laughs> so to go to a place and that like, not be a thing and they don't understand it and it's not out of malice it literally is out of curiosity it just was too much though like um and just the overcrowdedness but aside from that I think um pretty much everywhere else oh I didn't like Bangkok I don't think I'll ever go back there I haven't been to Thailand personally yet but 
Oh, you've got to go. I know someday, someday. Yes. But yeah, Bangkok was my least favorite. And I've heard that it's one of those cities that you either absolutely love it or you absolutely hate it. And I'm one of those people that just absolutely hated it. So, That's so funny. Well, my my son has a running list of places in the world we have to travel to. And Um, that's not there. It's not on his list yet. But like Mexico, for some reason, is at the top of his list. So he wants to go to, um, he wants to see any of the ruins. He's like, any of them will do. I just want to see one of them. I'm like, all right, I'll, I'll figure it out. But yeah. I tell him to take me with him because it's at the top of my list too. dying so like um we we used to homeschool and then I when he was diagnosed with autism I was like wow this is why it's been so hard and mm-hmm. um, so I put him in public school after that so he could get services that he needs even though I know that TRICARE supplies us thank goodness with services um mm-hmm. but it when during our lessons we would always talk about like traveling the world um in our geography lessons and he would just like zero in on Mexico and that was his mm-hmm. thing I want to go to Mexico I want to go see these ruins <laughs> or, you know, whatever. Like, I don't know what it is about Mexico. And he's like obsessed with Dia de los Muertos. So like that, oh. yeah, he's always like, he wants to celebrate it so he can remember my mom. And it's, it's oh. really cute. And I'm like, I'm so glad that you've like latched on to something like this. And it's really important to you. I just mm-hmm. have to figure out how to get to Mexico, which I know right. I can do, but not right now. No, <laughs> yeah. no, not right now. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe later. later on when he's older. Later on, yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Gosh. And I, I wanted to say I can sympathize about the hair thing too, because that I haven't been to China yet either. But in Japan, we definitely experienced the crowding. There's lots of people in Tokyo. Like, oh my. Yes, goodness. there's so many people. <laughs> um, but then, like, I, I remember um, we were at Tokyo Disney Sea. And this, I speak a little bit of Japanese because I, I took some classes while I was stationed mm-hmm. in Misawa. Mm-hmm. Um, and so this woman was in line with us and she asked me a question. Um, and I responded in Japanese. And then, like, of course, she started asking more questions and more questions, worse questions. And she was like, Is this your son? It's like, Yes. And then she just like reached out <laughs> and like just started playing with his hair. And he just looked at her like, WTF, lady, what's going on? <laughs> you know, and, um, I was just flabbergasted that she just reached out and like and te- mm-hmm. started like just like her fingers were like in his hair in mm. his face. And I like my skin was crawling and I yes. was like I don't know what to do but I know that she was trying to she wasn't being malicious like you said right but it's just it's just so shocking <laughs> it is shocking because yeah. it's just there's no like can I or anything it you're right it's literally just like reaching in and just grabbing and touching and feeling right. and you know I think it we have that experience with hair but also with skin because I think right. that there's like a misconception that maybe brown skin feels different or looks different thank goodness no one licked me like <laughs> <laughs> no it don't taste like chocolate no I mean yeah. like I know that there's all these probably misconceptions so yes like definitely like the sneak touch that you'll get of like people wanting to see what your skin feels like but touching of the hair and then like you said the kids like wanting to scoop them up it just yeah it definitely panics my mama bear and so like oh my gosh I'm touching my kid like (laughs) exactly like oh my god don't know with the situation right now exactly <laughs> how can I not be the typical how can I not be the only American that they've met and that this is not a negative experience right. but also stop touching my child right. 
<laughs> I don't know. I wish I had the answer, but <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh. Huh. So, um, where has been your favorite place in the world to travel? Oh my goodness. It, I get this question a lot too. And honestly, it's, it's a, it's a tie. (laughs) I I have, I've turned it into a three-way tie, but I keep shifting things out. So, Mm. um, Japan will always and forever live at the top of my list. Like I just, uh, I don't, I'm biased, you know, after we both, we've both lived there, we know the magic of it. And like Misawa is so much different than Tokyo, but then it's so much different from, you know, the other places in Japan. I feel like there's just so many different climates and cultural nuances in different parts of Japan. And I just, I just love it so much. I'm always saying if someone wants to give me a job in Japan, like, please right? just give me one. I would love to just live there full time as an expat. So Japan is at the top of the list, but then it kind of branches off into my second two are Thailand and recently Iceland. Like oh. I just, yes. Um, my mom and I spent, we only got to spend four days there, but we spent four days road tripping through Iceland. And it was just one of the most beautiful countries I've ever been to. And the people were just so kind and um, it was super expensive, but (laughs) I just, I loved it there and I cannot wait to get back and visit again once life goes back to quote unquote normal. Right. (laughs) I I think you have a a YouTube video up of your four day journey there. I do. So yes. If you have a moment after this episode, go check that out. Cause it was really cool to watch. Um, her mom touched everything. stories. <laughs> <laughs> she really was. You have no idea how much I had to edit out. I'm like, can you stop? Can you stop touching everything in the store? Can you not want to buy everything yeah. in the <laughs> really store? Yeah, she wanted to take everything home. And I'm like, look, ma'am, you have to declare these things after right. a certain amount. Can you stop? Exactly. But that's okay. I equally annoyed her. The video that just came out this past mm-hmm. weekend, I talk about how I stopped at every single horse that I saw. <laughs> um, and so like I would pull yeah. off to the side of the road because they're yeah. just there free roaming right. horse and sheep. And so I would like stop and take pictures because they're Icelandic horses. And so they look uh-huh. different. They've got like this luscious hair. They look like they should be in like hair commercials. <laughs> Their hair blows in the wind and they're just so beautiful. And I would like need to stop and she's like, I'm sick of you and these horses. So it's okay. She got to venture through the grocery store and I got to take 5,000 pictures of horses. So it's, it's fair. It's compromised. So. It is. Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh. It's so funny. Um, so now that we're, we're going to move a little bit more to talking about autism. Okay. So do you have any tips about a family that wants to get on the road with their child with autism? Yes. My first advice is to really start small and start slow. So, um, pre-COVID. So let's say that you're listening to this in COVID, you know, we figured it out. So like, you know, COVID is not an issue. Um, I would recommend getting on Google flights and putting in a flight pretty much to anywhere. Like don't dump a bunch of money into this first trip, really find somewhere cheap and somewhere that's maybe under two hours to use as your test flight. Um, You can take that opportunity to then you can either, you know, make it a quick round trip in the same day 
or you can expand it and do an overnight. But I say start really small um, in terms of both air travel and road travel. Don't think that you can like bundle your kids up, pack them up into a car. And if they're on the spectrum or have sensory needs and that they're going to sit in that car for six hours, it's just, that's not realistic and you're going to hate it. Um, So I just always say, start small, start slow and really uh, come into the whole situation with a clean slate, be prepared, but like drop any expectations of like, this is going to go wonderfully because there's going to be some kind of hiccup inevitably like we've been doing this since 2017 like traveling full-time and I still like I made a huge like rookie mistake in January of this year just thinking that I could like go 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 and that I had it figured out and my daughter quickly let me know with a meltdown that like this isn't working for me and I had to adjust that and so really dropping expectations but starting slow first Mm -hmm. and seeing because if you start slow, then you have the opportunity to hone in and figure out what does my child need um, right. and what what do I need to do when we travel to make sure that they're having a positive experience. And I feel like that is probably the most important part of traveling with a child with autism is mm-hmm. what does your child need while yes. traveling to make yes. it fun for everybody or make yes. you know, make it memorable for everybody. Yes. Instead of having a meltdown in the Shibuya crossroads. Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Do you find while you're traveling that there aren't a lot of autism-friendly options, or do you find that more and more are becoming aware of autism and incorporating some kind of program into their brand? So I think here in the States, um, Mm -hmm. IBCCES has done a wonderful job um, of getting that ball rolling. And and that's not even me being biased because (laughs) I'm certified through them. I just think that they're doing a great job at making sure that these... um, suppliers and hotels and theme parks are, you know, that their, that their actions are consistent with their wording. So I think that, you know, autism travel and special needs travel has the ability to become a buzzword and for people to just say it. And that doesn't mean anything to me, except for when I see that, you know, certified autism center seal of approval, basically, because I know with that certification, they had to take the time to train all of their people that they had to really take a deep dive into their practice and how things are operated and they really had to determine how it works for those who are on the autism spectrum but also for those who have sensory things um, I think as you get outside of the U.S. it is a, is a bit more difficult um, I think that I have to end up doing the research independently and figuring out what's going to work best but I really hope that you know in the next decade or so that that changes um, I think that countries that are closer to the U.S. have kind of uh, taken the approach. So like uh, beaches, resorts, and Turks and Caicos and and Jamaica, all of their resorts are actually autism center certified through IBCCES. And we've gone there twice and it is absolutely amazing. Um, They really it was the first place that I had gone and experienced it. And they really don't just say like, Oh, we're autism friendly. They really do make sure that all of their staff members are trained and that they know what to look for. And they're not calling me five minutes after I've dropped my kids off at the kid camp and saying like, Oh, we can't handle this. Like, no, I know I can feel 
comfortable and confident that everybody on, in my family is going to enjoy their vacation because there's people who can understand her. So. Right. And, and look out for her. Exactly. Like, or not feel like, Whoa, this is my, this meltdown. It's like, not, <laughs> you know, or yes. temper tantrum. Like this, they look the same. I know that they're mm-hmm. different, but, you know, like they're not going to freak out because she's not, you know. Yes. And I've had that happen on a cruise yeah. of like, uh, the teacher or like the care professional mm-hmm. we went on a cruise back in the day and like she had a full meltdown and they called me and she hadn't even been there for like an hour and they didn't know what to do about it and right. that was such an awful feeling for both of us like she just wanted to play and something frustrated her but that person couldn't understand her and then so right. I had to come and get her and that just reinforces that like my behavior is bad, which then turns into like, I'm bad and I can't play with other kids. And, you know, it, it's just difficult. And so to be able to have resources and places that we can go to that we don't have to experience that just makes life and vacationing and traveling so much easier. Right. And normalizes autism because it's not, you know, it's prevalent. Like there's, it's, I don't remember the exact statistic, but I know that there's more people with autism in the world than, mm-hmm. um, you know, people realize and to let other, um, neurotypical people see that, Hey, this is normal. And just, yes. it, you know, their brains are just wired differently and that's just yes. fine, but they're still people and they still feel emotions. And so I try to keep telling <laughs> my son's friends, like, I know sometimes he gets really upset, but it's just cause he just can't control his emotions and he's right. really working hard, you know, right. Right. we all exactly. have to forgive and like be very patient. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. Every day cool. around here is, is a clean slate. Like when yeah. I go to sleep at night, I can't hold on to grudges. I just right. have to like, whatever happened, it doesn't matter how awful of a day we had. It's just, mm-hmm. you know, you have to just swipe that whole slate clean because when she wakes up in the morning she is not going to remember nine times out of ten how <laughs> awful of a day it was the day before <laughs> so. or even, not even like the next day but like hour to hour my oh son, yes like, my son will have a meltdown right and mm-hmm. then the next thing I know he's done and it's like it never even like happened. it never happened exactly mm-hmm. and then like and when you're still upset especially when yeah. you know we've ex- experienced meltdowns that were like very violent and so you know you might still be actually nursing physical wounds of like you know icing something or like you're crying and they're you know my daughter's just like what's wrong and I'm like what What? were you not just here like (laughs) and so it is I've had to learn how to just like really forgive and forget because I can't hold it against her that's something that she just cannot help so right exactly Exactly. Yeah. Um, and on that same token, because we, um, I don't know about your experience, but I wanted to ask you about it because I noticed that it seems like, um, in general, the statistic is there's more boys that have autism than girls. Mm-hmm. So what has been your experience um, having a daughter with autism when the world thinks that it's a thing that happens more often to little boys? <laughs> It has been so difficult. Right. Um, I am always grateful for the fact that, so I was a social worker in another life um, also. So like, I'm grateful that I have the advocacy skills to be able to stand up for her, um, but also to empower her because we have had to fight with practitioners who say that there is nothing wrong with her, um, that these are just, she's just, you know, 
temper tantrums or other things. And these are trained professionals. Um, Even down to the DSM handbook really being geared towards boys. Yes, because um, girls are socialized to be social creatures. And so um, from a very early age, we're actually socialized Mm -hmm. to be that way. And so I had to realize and really had to sift through and work through a lot of guilt because I didn't even realize that I was socializing her to be a quote unquote girl, you know, the, um, you know, talk to your, oh, go talk to them, go do this, like making them social creatures when it really is uncomfortable, but also like eye contact and other things. So by the time we recognize that, oh, there's something that is amiss here, she was already, she masks very well. So she is able to go to a provider and give eye contact, not sustained, but she can give some form of eye contact. She can carry a conversation that is very surface level. And so those two right there took out two of the DSM uh, qualifications for being autistic. Um, No eye contact and and very poor social skills and conversations was, you know, one of the things that that are required. And so we've gotten a lot of like, oh no, that's not what this is. It's all of these other things and having to really fight for it. And unfortunately also having to like film her in these meltdowns in order to show providers because unless she trusts you, she is not going to show that side of herself. And the older she gets, the more that she kind of censors herself and tries to like bottle it all up. And then she just like unleashes it when she's home and she knows that she's safe. And so it has been a very long and hard journey uh, to advocate for her in terms of healthcare uh, benefits for like medications and um, also you know, adding in again the intersections of being a family of color and mm-hmm. our ne- our concerns not being taken seriously, right. um, and that you know, oh, she's just you know she's just acting out or she's just doing this, and um, honestly, seeing the school to prison pipeline be very much present even in like a kindergarten classroom was terrifying for me. Um, Yes. And with special needs kids. And and then I think about how many families don't have the tools or the voice to advocate for their children and how many kids that are labeled as troubled or juvenile delinquents, but no, really they just needed someone to recognize that they were struggling and they needed help. And yeah. um, yeah. Which I agree. That's, so, so frustrating, especially when you're the parent and you're looking at your child and you're like, I can't believe that nobody believes me when I say that these things are happening. Yes. You know? Yes. Yes. Um, and I'm yes. not talking like the TRICARE system by any means, but <laughs> I, I've been begging for some kind of review for my son since he was three and he didn't mm-hmm. get diagnosed until he was eight. Mm-hmm. That like, sounds very similar to our yes. experience with, you know having to really advocate for it and really like, please, someone listen to me. And it's so helpless when you see your child struggling and like, you know, you want to give your child the world it, it and then you can't because you're fighting against the system that right. is saying no, like, no, we're not going to cover that. We've spent thousands and thousands of dollars on testing independently because insurance is like, I'm not going to, co- we're not going to cover that. Or like medication, we're not going to cover that. She's five. There's no reason why she needs these medicines. And I'm like, but you're not here 
when she has zero impulse control or when she's having violent meltdowns. It's, it is really, really difficult um, to navigate being a special needs parent, especially when I think when you also add in a child that's higher functioning and my daughter is gifted. And so she also like, you know, they're twice exceptional. So Mm -hmm. it's really difficult because people see this child and they perceive her as being neurotypical. And then she's, you know, she can carry a conversation and she's intelligent. And usually it's a a conversation of something that she's already hyper fixated on. So, you know, Disney or trains or whatever else. And so people just take that and they perceive that, you know, this is a neurotypical child and I'm making it up. So, Mm -hmm. (laughs) yes. And then I also wonder um, if on that same note that, because I, for us, what I've been experiencing with, with my son is that when he talks about a high preferred activity such as Minecraft or <laughs> Zelda, like mm-hmm. we're not actually holding a conversation. He's talking, yes. but I'm not talking with him. I'm yes. not, not allowed to respond either. And I think no. that when you say that, Marquita, like people are saying like, oh yeah, she's talking about Disney. Yes, she's talking to you. But, but you're, you're not really there. Yeah. You could be here or not. Like yeah. she's going to talk about it, period. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yes. She could talk, exactly. She could talk to the wall about it. And because mm-hmm. the wall is at least not interrupting her thoughts. Because yeah. when, <laughs> when you try to have that back and forth conversation, it just is not happening. It's right. really a string of facts that sounds like a conversation. Um, or let me show you this, but I really don't want you to say anything. Right. I just want you to listen to me while I talk. And when you interrupt me, you really irritate me. So stop talking. (laughs) Yes. Yes. Or the, um, I think that's our big thing. Like my son will definitely talk about Minecraft for like, and if I let him, it'll be for hours. And I'm just like, my God, I'm mentally drained from listening to you talk about things. Like I really don't understand. Yes. Yes. Um, but there's that. And then there's the questions where he's, he's asking me questions, but he's not actually looking for an answer. Nope. He's just doing it to talk. And it's like, yes. I think that you're observing that like a, a quote unquote conversation is happening here. Yes. It's not two-sided. Exactly. And I, yes. And I think that's the difficult part about social interactions and making friends and, you know, just interacting with adults is that they don't understand of what they're seeing appears to be social interaction and conversation, but it is not. And so frequently I'm having to explain to her the societal and social norms of what a conversation looks like. I'm really talking to the air. I should be talking (laughs) to the wall because it's not, it's not going to, it's not going to shift and change, but you you know, I try to explain to her, like, this is how a conversation goes. You say something and I say something back and you actually listen. But right. there's that listening component is sometimes, for a lot of the time, is just not present. And so it is. It's just them having a conversation with themselves and right. um, you're just present for that conversation. So... I think that's the really big issue, especially like it's, it's, a li- and I'm not trying to like downplay anything, but it just seems like it's a little bit easier when the child is lower functioning that people are like, oh yeah, I can obviously see that. Yes, I agree. Cause it's almost yeah. like invisible, um, invisible disabilities. Right. I feel like it almost um, higher functioning. And I think it's, I see in like the different autism support groups for parents, a lot of people feel a type of way about the designation between higher functioning and lower functioning. And I can see that, but, um, because, but at the same time, I think it's because, um, it comes sometimes from a, 
perspective of uh, parents that may have a child that is not as higher functioning and making it a distinction of like who's better. I think it actually is a disservice to both. Um, Because when I say higher functioning, people particularly like teachers and other folks assume teachers, family members, and other people that we have interactions with, Mm -hmm. they just assume that higher functioning means that like, she just has some quirks and she's fine, which means that she misses out on services and other teachable moments that she could be having because she's really struggling, but no one can really see it because there is not, you know, she's verbal and she makes some form of eye contact and it just really, it makes life a little bit more difficult. And I feel like I have to spend more time, um, independently teaching her life skills and other things that, um, other families who have children on the spectrum may have easier access to because it's more visible. Um, Mm -hmm. But I think that it's just, it's just difficult all around, but it definitely is, it's hard when um, someone looks at your child and they don't see anything quote unquote wrong with them. And they just assume like I've had to get in, I have to get on some teachers (laughs) quite often. I'm like, just because you think that there's nothing wrong with like, lest I remind you that she is on the spectrum and like you, the way that you're expecting her to do X, Y, or Z, you need to reframe that because Mm -hmm. she is on the spectrum and you need, that means that it's going to require for you to redo some things and change things up. So yeah, it is difficult navigating the world of autism and especially when you have other coexisting disorders like ADHD, which she has and severe anxiety and, you know, it's, it's not as um as cut and dry as the DSM would like to make it look. I know. And they're all so like, I, I love that quote from my BCCS. Um, I, I, in the training, I got that quote, which is like, if you met a person with autism, you met one person with autism, you know, it's like, yeah, both of our children are high functioning, but your daughter definitely, you know, she's got ADHD. My son has ADHD. Great. They have the same, like, diagnosis but that doesn't right. mean that we go through the same things every day right. exactly exactly and I I see that a lot play out in support groups of like all of us have the same our kids have the same disability but like the way that it presents and people just like the blanket statement of like right. oh it's this it's just is one it's everyone exhibits these behaviors. And I think that that's the problem with the DSM and with diagnostic tools is that, you know, you've met, like you said, you've met one person with autism. You can't use one generalization for an entire group of people because they're all so different. Just like, I mean, just like humans, period. Yeah. I mean, we have different likes and needs. Like, I mean, exactly. maybe you like something different about Disney, and I'm like, oh, right. that sucks. Like, you know, right? Like, exactly, <laughs> exactly. Very, very different. We both love Disney, but it's it's just different. Yeah. We're different, and our and our experiences are different. And so, yes, one hundred percent. And speaking about Disney, <laughs> I, I definitely wanted to. Talk. I haven't. I I have been to the international parks, but again, when my son. Um, was diagnosed with after we'd already gone. So um, I know that, I think, did you go to Tokyo Disneyland as well? Yes, we have actually been to every Disney park in the entire world. So what then has been your experience as far as the DAS goes at those Mm -hmm. parks? 
Yes. So the DAS, first of all, that's one of the reasons why we like, I am hardcore Disney and will always be like the magic alone, you know, that I can feel like an eight year old when I'm walking down Main Street, that is its own thing. But how wonderful they have been in terms of the DAS pass and how the cast members just treat my daughter. Um, Oh, I'm getting choked up. It's just oh Disney is the place that we can like, we can go and I can completely let my guard down. I don't okay. have to worry about, um, I don't have to, just don't, I just don't have to worry about it. So the DAS Pass, both in domestic and international parks, is pretty much the same. We've experienced a few variations. I think in Hong Kong Disneyland, theirs was a little bit different. They actually required paperwork and other things, but right. Um, and then there's some differences, but overall the DAS pass and all of the parks works on the same system of a return time. And I just love the blessing of a return time. If my (laughs) space mountain, the park level is at an eight and it's a 196 minute wait. We walk up to the people, we get a return time and we go do something else for 196 minutes. I don't have to stand in line with her, with her getting, because her waiting turns into irritability, which turns into anger, which then by the time we're at the front ready to get on the ride, we're in meltdown phase and she's not having a good time. So it just is a blessing to have the DAS pass to be able to just calm down and like go eat and our Disney experience is just very different from most people's Disney experiences and I it is a small silver lining of having a child that can access the DAS pass so true and you know um I I think I mean my son has the same issue as far as that goes is that well he his blanket statement is I'm bored and that's my cue like Oh my gosh, we have to get him out of this line right now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> if we don't, <laughs> the meltdown is coming in like 15 minutes. So, yep. you know, mm-hmm. um, and then I always feel like they get, I don't know about your kids, but I feel like kids in general get like super duper hungry at Disney. Yes. Like being able to go and do that return time, like, all right, let's go get a snack. These are snacks. Yes. Yes, exactly. Yes, that's what it is. It's like, let's go. And we've gone to Disney so much that we know where the quiet corners are. So it's literally like space, like her favorite ride at Disney World is the Seven Dwarfs Mine Train. And so that wait is always super long. And so we'll go get a return time. And then I'm like, okay, great. Let's go grab a snack or like we, or I pack things because she's also really picky. So we'll either like get a snack from the bag, but we'll go find one of our quiet corners or we'll get on a ride. Like, um, it's a small world or the under the sea adventure, because those typically have short waits and they're indoors, they're air conditioned and they're quiet and they're her favorite. So we can decompress from the experience of like the crowds and the noise. And it's like, it's a sensory break for her and we can also fill up her belly. And so then when it's time for her to ride, her actual favorite ride, then she can enjoy it. And, you know, there's no meltdown. We beat the meltdown before um, we ever got to it. So yes, the DAS Pass is wonderful. So what is your favorite, or I guess what should I say is, what's the best parts about the international parks? And I'm I'm saying this (laughs) as a mom that enjoys the smaller sizes of the parks. Mm-hmm. Walt Disney World is huge. <laughs> yes. Um, I, the international parks, I think 
I think for a lot of people, they just think that Disney is like a copy and paste. And I think that what I like is the little subtle differences that the international parks have, because um, unless you're a Disney fanatic and have done the research, you probably don't realize that the Disney parks are owned by different people. Like they just license the name. And so like the Tokyo Disney parks are probably my absolute favorite. Um, But that's because the theming, like you could spend the whole day just walking around Tokyo Disney Sea, just looking at the theming of the land because it's just so intricate and they may have you know the same space mountain is actually different in every single location so it's like maybe the direction that you go in or the soundtrack the onboard soundtrack or like the the there's like a star wars it's a hyperspace mountain that's in paris and in uh, uh hong kong and so it's those little bitty differences that like I'm like, ooh, yeah, I, I, if I've gone to one Disney park, I haven't gone to them all. They're all very different um, with a with a similar experience. Like I've never had, I've only, I think I've only encountered one rude cast member in the entire time that I've gone to Disney parks. But that whole kindness and, mm-hmm. you know, they're just so accommodating and clean. And so it's just nice to have a an experience that we can have internationally. But I know that it's going to be the same that, you know, provides a level of comfort and security, especially as a mom who has a kid on the spectrum. So I, um, if you listen back to episode seven, I talk about my um, experience with this, but that, and then why we go to Disney all often. And that's because unlike other places in the world, um, Disney is very predictable. Yes. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. And I just feel like when you go there, you're like, well, I know exactly what to expect. I want to set my child up for success. So hopefully they don't have a meltdown. Unlike when, um, when we went to like Tokyo proper and we were walking around Asakusa, uh, I was like, whoops, (laughs) should have done a little bit more research about that one. But, um, you know, once he got to light an incense in the, uh, there's a, cause it's a Buddhist temple. Mm -hmm. Um, he got to light incense and that was like the highlight of his day. But everything out of uh, everything else about Asakusa, he could have just done without. Done right? without. Mm-hmm. Should have done some research. But. Oh wow! I should have done. I felt the same way about our like six month journey across. Um, Japan and Southeast Asia because I'm like I should have done a whole lot more research because she could have definitely done without or there was things that we did that she could have just done without because she was just not interested and I didn't really know how to support her hence the meltdowns and all kinds of different places (laughs) yeah because it's definitely I I don't know she was diagnosed by then but I, I think that that's the whole thing is like that's when you know like all right well, looking back on it, because he wasn't diagnosed at the time we went to Japan, um, if I if he had been diagnosed, I would have planned it a lot better. <laughs> yes, and that's the same thing for us. Was that she at the time we had like a soft quote unquote diagnosis, but the know. primary diagnosis was ADHD, and because she was only let's see, I think she was like five and a half maybe they did not they were not ready to put her on like heavy ADHD medications at the time and we were like really just trying to like bare bones it and so that impulse control and the frustration and other things like if I would have known better back then I could have planned things differently like going slower Mm -hmm. or and spending time in in places or having days off um, instead of like feeling like we needed to be going 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 every single day Um, I definitely, I would love to redo that trip and be able to (laughs) 
plan it better with well, what I know now. <laughs> the, the, how many is that? The six of us, we'll all go together. Yes, that sounds perfect. <laughs> yes, the two young ones. I don't know how, my youngest is three, so I don't know if he would be as chatty right now. You know what, my youngest is three as well, so. Okay. Mm-hmm. They're, yes. they're all, all our kids are the same age, so I'm sure yes. our two oldest would just sit there and just talk to yes. your walls. <laughs> yes. Or be on their tablets yeah, and yeah. have a conversation about, can I show you my app? But really it's just, can you just sit here while I exactly talk to you about the app? And <laughs> so true. Yeah. My son's been trying to do that through this whole podcast episode. He's watching like, it's called Mario Multiverse. And he keeps like, mom, mom, look at this. Mom, look at this. Uh-huh. Yep. 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 That sounds like the day to day. You said your son's into Minecraft. My daughter's into Roblox. And so, oh, yes. Pretty much. Pretty much the same game. And yeah. so she just like, she's like, let me show you my house. And it's not really like, I was like, okay, I could either be here or not. Cause she yeah. just doesn't care. She's just going to keep, it's really, I found out that it's a ploy to just get more time on the tablet, but. <laughs> oh, you're right. You're right. I know that we remember we talked about this in ABA. You can ask for more time, but when the timer goes off, Yes, that's it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's what I'm like, okay, we're done. They're like, oh, let me show you this house that I built. And then I was like, oh, I just got played. Like, <laughs> well, how do they know? How do they know us so well? I don't know. They're like, mm-hmm, I know exactly what to do because they want to be present. So I'm going to yeah. let you be present while I get another 10 minutes on the And You know, that's the thing though. They are so incredibly smart. I yes. His, um, one of his, his OT was telling me that like, he's at least four times smarter than I am. And I'm mm. like, what the actual heck? This exactly. Is- <laughs> so like, he knows all these things, but then when you try to get him to do something, uh, non-preferred like math, uh, yes, forget about it. Forget about it. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. Also, all of a sudden he doesn't know how to add or subtract, but you better believe he knows how to spend some rupees. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> it's the same thing with yeah. Roblox. Like, oh, if I take my, you know, I think she has a snow cat. If I take my snow cat, then I get $7 and then yeah. I have enough to buy this. I'm like, oh, really? Where were those, you know, selective oh, skills? <laughs> I appreciate this. I really needed to laugh about this because, man, this, this pandemic, like, um, maybe we could talk about that a little bit too, is that I feel like our children are being left behind. Um, yes, 100%. I am very concerned. I mean, I was already, it's been in general, the pandemic and being on quarantine and we've been right. self-quarantining since, um, March right. 13th. Um, and you know, as a family traveler, I feel like it's, we have like, I have this platform and I have this responsibility and I actually was just um, on Instagram this morning and saw a pretty big travel brand and it was a black travel brand, just like encouraging traveling and saying people like, well, people can make their own decisions. And I'm just like, no, I just <laughs> stay home, please. Yeah, please. Like, can you please just stay home? Cause the rest of us were doing what we're supposed to be doing. And some yeah. of us have special needs children who are tired of being in the house. Yeah. And, like you guys want to go and take pics for the gram. And I just want you to stay home so that we can, all take pics for the gram right, at exactly. some point like <laughs> at least by 2021 you know I like I'd like to yeah. um I'd really like to leave my house by 
winter time, that would be. <laughs> yeah, that would be great. I would love to go somewhere yeah. at some point soon. So yeah, even with RV living, so we're stationary. So um, we're not going, I know that RVing is probably one of the safest, like if you're going to travel, RVing is probably the easiest way to do yeah. it. But even still, we're stationary. I got a, there's like an RV park that's like a slash um, RV slash mobile home park that's relatively close to my folks. So my both of my parents live here in Georgia. And so we just like, we got a pad and I'm just gonna we're gonna chill out because I just don't want to take the risk and so they get a little bit of exposure to go between the two houses in terms of like they get a change of scenery but um yeah this pandemic has been rough and for the fall with like virtual learning and with a lot of services just being cut out I'm very concerned about regression not just for my daughter but for like Kids with special needs in general. I think that there was like throwing the baby out with the bathwater of like, oh my gosh, we have to reduce exposure, but at what cost? Um, I think there's a cost of benefit analysis when you think about these things and the families that are home struggling with their kids that have no supports, Mm -hmm. um, no one-to-one care, no speech therapy, no, you know, ABA and all of those things that, you know, they were getting through the schools or not being able to go into offices, I think that our, our kids are definitely being left behind. And that is terrifying because I don't see an end to COVID anytime soon. Not and either. yeah, where does that leave our families? Right. So, it's, I mean, it, I mean, children in general, but especially mm-hmm. special needs children. Cause um, when this pandemic started, we're, you know, we have TRICARE for health insurance and, mm-hmm. TRICARE didn't authorize us to have virtual ABA therapy. So we went without for mm-hmm. um, two and a half months, no ABA. So yep. it's like we started ABA and then they just cut it. And it was like, mm. that's okay. Like it's not okay for my son because mm-hmm. he started making, you know, he's stuck in his extinction phase, which is like, you know, trying to re- replace one behavior with another. Right. And so like that extinction that he's left on, like he hasn't been able to move until they um, recently decided that we could do in-person, but they still haven't authorized us to do um, telehealth. Right. Which is like, which is crazy because that's what's supposed to be the better option for everyone. Like as a veteran, I just had the the VA call me the other day and they're like, we're limiting the number of people that are coming here. So we're going to do, and it's, it was like for a gynecological appointment. And I was like, I don't know how this is going to work, but okay. Uh, <laughs> they're like, we're doing it on telehealth and cause you're not coming into the office, but oh. it's kind of like both with school and with other things in terms of our kids, it's kind of like they're, the entire country is okay with just sacrificing the children. And right. I just don't. I don't think it either. It's like, how hard is it? Just authorize the telehealth and move on with life. No, because I don't, I really don't feel safe with my son going back to in-person education. I'm just no, like, I don't either. Oh, can we just do online school or I'm going to pull him out and put him in an online school because I don't yeah. feel safe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I would really love for IEPs and 504s to reflect the special needs aspect of our children um, so that I can feel like I have some kind of support because like I can't be the teacher and the like the therapist and the OT and the like 
I need for people to pivot. If all the rest of us had to pivot, then I need for the healthcare system to also pivot so that our kids are not um, regressing or being stuck or just going without altogether. Right. I totally agree. (laughs) Oh my God. I appreciate that. I was like, I just need to talk to somebody about this. (laughs) Yes. um, I just wanted to ask since we've talked for so long now, is there anything else? (laughs) that you wanted to talk about that I may have missed before I dive into the quick fire questions? Um, no, I think we've covered a lot of it. Yeah. I really appreciate it. It's it's been like such a great conversation. It's going to be an awesome episode. (laughs) (laughs) I'm so excited. Okay. So let's go ahead and do the quick fire questions and you can answer as long or as short as you would like. Okay. Um, so what country have you enjoyed the food the most? Uh, it actually probably isn't a country. It's been Louisiana, New Orleans, oh. my favorite place to eat. <laughs> give me all of the beignets oh and Cafe Du Monde and give me jambalaya and gumbo mm. and a nice grenade, a hand grenade from off of Bourbon Street and I'm good to go. So <laughs> I, I, I shouldn't eat them, but I love them. They're so good. <laughs> Aside from that, Japan, I love, um, I think we were talking about the post with the, um, oh, it's escaping my mind, but like the Japanese, it's Japanese barbecue, my brain is losing it, but like the meat on the, we were talking about the, what is the place that we both went to? Yes, when we went to Viking and would just eat meat and like until you get the meat sweats, like until your time was up. Yes. (laughs) So yeah, Japan is the, probably the country with the best food for me. Um, just so my listeners know, the Viking is a, it's, it's like a Japanese barbecue. Well, I think that's the correct term. It's a barbecue place and you can buy meat to cook yeah. on your hibachi grill. Yes. And yes. this place that we went to, um, it, it gives you 90 minutes to eat all your meal, which is plenty of time. But I know that people have like sat there for the full 90, like, I'm going to get my money's worth. I'm going to get my money's worth. Exactly. Yeah. I'm going to sit here and I'm going to start digesting and yeah. then <laughs> go back for more. Yeah. Yes. So good. I remember there was two locations because there was one in Misawa and then there was one in Hachinohe. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Oh, yes. Oh, man. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, Yakiniku. That's what it is. It's Yakiniku. Yakiniku. Oh, oh Yakiniku. I want a Yakiniku place somewhere in the States, and I would just, please, put one in Atlanta if someone's listening. I, I will give you all of my money. <laughs> I don't know if they have it in Atlanta, but I remember when I was in Maryland, there was a place called Pork Belly, and it's a mm. Korean barbecue place. Um, it's pretty much like Yakiniku. Um but, but you don't get to cook your own food, the attendants. It's the same thing in Korea. Like, they do the same thing where they cook the food for you, and mm. then you pick the, your meat off of the, the um, grill. But uh, okay. it's, pretty, it's the same, like, basically. basically. Got you. <laughs> but if you can find it, there's, there's some place. Or there's a place, it's called Gyukaku, which is a Japanese barbecue place. Oh, I that don't sounds... know if it's a West Coast thing or not, but I remember it in Hawaii, and I remember it in California. Oh, yeah, I'm gonna have to hunt some down because mm-hmm. since I apparently cannot just hop on a plane and go to <laughs> Japan for yakiniku anytime soon. <laughs> really? Okay, but this is a, we're gonna tie this back into another food question. So, which country did you find that you didn't love their food? 
Um, Iceland. <laughs> oh my God. Actually, I'm not surprised because I remember your video. <laughs> I mean, the, the meat, the food, like the platter that we were eating, it was all very interesting. It was very traditional, but to be honest, we didn't eat a ton in Iceland because the restaurant, like everything is so spaced out there. And so we were spending so much time road tripping that we would think that we had the American mindset of like, oh, we'll run into a restaurant. Nope. Mm -mm." So we didn't really eat anything in the food that we ate. Like we had a hamburger and I was like, this is mediocre and it was $25 and I was not impressed. So yeah, it was, I was like, this is the most mediocre hamburger for 25 bucks. And I've eaten some hamburgers in my day and I was really frustrated. So sorry, Iceland. I love everything else about you, but your food do better. (laughs) Matt, which Disney park is your favorite? But I think I already know the answer to that. Oh, it's so hard. Oh, no. Um, I'm going to have to say, oh my gosh, it's so hard. Oh no. <laughs> oh, I'm going to go with Tokyo Disney ah, and Tokyo Disney combined. Right. I, it's only hard because I love Shanghai Disneyland mm. so much. Okay. It is such an amazing park and the rides, like the technology is like next level, but yeah, it, the theming and everything else, because it's in Japan, I, I have to give it to the Tokyo Disney park. <laughs> It is a pretty amazing park. It's my favorite too. Yes. <laughs> um, so what kind of trip is your favorite? And for example, I mean like a theme park vacation or a vacation to another country or an art road trip, ETC. Um, you know what? I think it's a toss up between a theme park and a beach. Okay. Like I could take either of those, but I think I've kind of turned into like a theme park fanatic. I have this thing now that I've noticed if there's a theme park, even if it's in another country, I want to go to it. So um, just to kind of see how the rides are different. And so, yeah, I think, I think I'm going to have to go with theme parks. They're probably my favorite. I, I love them too. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm right there. I'm, we're on the same page with that one for sure. Like a theme park or a beach. Yeah. Those are both awesome. And they're all really are. Yeah. I need a theme park on the beach and then we could be perfect. <laughs> There's something, well, I know is it Santa Monica Pier is on the beach, Ooh, technically. That is true. I'm gonna have to add that to the list. Maybe that's the next thing I'll do is hit up all the theme parks on the beaches. <laughs> Ooh, that sounds like so much fun. Combo vacation. Yes. <laughs> You're going to like, uh, be like one, uh, there's a YouTuber out there. I can't remember his name right now, but I know that he travels around the world just to go to theme parks. Wow. Love that so much. (laughs) It's pretty awesome. I'm not, I love thrill rides, but I, I, I get motion sickness really easy. Thank you. Children of mine. Um, but I have to be careful, but he, I'm just amazed that he has the, the iron stomach to be able to. Yeah. Cause some rides I'm like, I don't think so. Yeah. I don't care if I'm like, I went to a park in the middle of, um, Copenhagen and the theme park is literally in the middle of Copenhagen. And there was some rides that I was like, I don't care that I'm in Copenhagen or not. I'm not getting on that. There is no YOLO <laughs> happening here. I'm not right? getting on that park. I'm not getting on that ride. Yeah. I, I haven't, I'm, per, I'm supposed to go to Universal Studios um, this September. We'll see what happens. I have to make a decision. But it'll just be me and some of my girlfriends. Um, and I keep looking at the Hulk roller coaster and I'm just like, yeah, I don't know about that. <laughs> yeah. You know what though? The Hulk is my absolute favorite. It looks so much worse than it is. Maybe you'll have to like slap a Dramamine patch on, right? on and um, <laughs> I know. 
<laughs> yeah, it's absolutely one of my favorites. I, yeah, I'm a little biased, but you know, the Hulk terrifying. is my favorite. It does look terrifying. You know what you should stay away from though? The Rip Ride Rocket Roller Coaster. <laughs> yes, it is worse. There is actually an onboard uh, screen. I did not realize that it was a video until afterwards. And the look, like people ask me all the time, do you actually like roller coasters? Because all of your pictures, you look like you're dying. And I'm like, you should have saw me on that roller coaster. I think that I had three heart attacks on it. So. <laughs> that is so funny. I, I don't know if I can do that one. Maybe no, please Hulk. stay away from that one. The Hulk one, try that one. I think you'll like it. But the other one, absolutely not. That vertical drop is no joke. So, yeah, no. <laughs> then the irony, though, is I love the Tower of Terror. <laughs> do you really? I do not like it at all. It's the drops. I can't. Yeah, and I think that's what I love the most. I'm like, I love the way it makes my tummy feel. <laughs> See, yes, we should go on a combined Disney trip and then you can just ride with my oldest because she loves the drops on. She's like, I want to get on Tower of Terror because of the drops. But let it be a drop on a roller coaster. She wants nothing to do with it. I have to forewarn her like drop is coming. Drop is coming. Well, that's great because my oldest son does not like the Tower of Terror. Yay. <laughs> Galaxy Mission Breakout. I'm like, oh my God, it's not even scary now because they rethinked it. And he's still like, Mm-mm, I don't like this guy. No, there's still drops. I agree with him. <laughs> he knows. He knows. But I'm like, dang it. I really like this ride. It's so much fun. <laughs> oh my gosh. Um, oh, we're almost done. So um, what airline have you found to be the most autism friendly? You know, I think that they all have a lot of work that they could do, but I am kind of impartial and like Delta is my favorite. I don't think like, yeah, it's, they just, I think it's the, when you just come in the gate already with like excellent customer service, it just makes it so much easier for them to be understanding. Now I would say that's domestic. Now international, we had an absolutely amazing experience with Fiji Airways. Um, My daughter was actually having a full blown violent meltdown um, when we were leaving Samoa and they were amazing. They um, were really trying to help and assist us. And I kept saying to myself in my head, like, please don't call the police. Because I feel like in the States that that's a concern of mine of like, you see this child and they're screaming and, you know, they don't know what they're saying. But like, I think at the time my daughter was saying like, you're not my mom. I hate you, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, please don't call the police. Cause like, she's really just having an issue. And I think that they recognize that we were just like parents in distress and they did everything that they could, including like just allowing for her to have a full on fit as we were walking down the jet bridge. I feel like in the okay. States, they would have been like, oh, you can't go with her acting like this. And they just were so kind. So they are probably, I wish that they flew everywhere because, but yeah, Fiji Airways and internationally, they were absolutely amazing. So, yeah. Well, when I finally go to Fiji, (laughs) I will fly with them. Oh my gosh. You know, the secret is to go to Australia and then um, you can, on your way back in, you can force a stopover, like a, a layover, um, in Fiji because they stop if you fly on Fiji Airways between Sydney and like Honolulu or Sydney and LA, they can stop in that direction. And so you can force a stop over there. That's how we did it. Uh, My last question is what country do you find to be the most autism friendly? 
The crazy part is I think at this point I have to say the U.S. Um, I think just because of all of the work that is happening in the awareness of um, special needs travel and that it is it deserves a place and a seat at the table. Um, I think that it has been the most accommodating country. And I know that, you know, as IBCCES and other places put things in place, I think we feel more comfortable traveling in the States, um, knowing that there should be somewhere that's autism um, certified or autism certified center. So as of right now, it's the U.S., but I'm really hoping that that spreads and that it continues like this fire of making things accessible for people of all abilities. Um, I, I feel like I'm I'm hoping that that is going to be something that happens soon. I really hope so too, because I I think as more countries become aware of autism, that this you know things will change and shift and make yes. it easier for families. Oh my gosh! So we have talked. I don't know how long I'll have to check, uh, <laughs> but this has been amazing, and I'm really appreciative of you coming on the podcast today and talking about all of these issues that I've really wanted to talk about, especially as you know, a person of color and a mom to a child with autism. And um, if anybody would like to reach out to you, how would they be able to find you if you could leave some of your links to your social media? And um, if you have anything going on, I know with COVID right now, there's not much going on. (laughs) But if you have anything going on, like, uh, leave that too. So I'll let you have it before we close out. Awesome. So... I, you can find us anywhere on uh, social media platforms as Tribe on a Quest. Make sure that you put the whole thing because a tribe called Quest usually pops up first. <laughs> but I promise we're there, <laughs> especially on YouTube. But you can find us on Instagram at Tribe on a Quest, YouTube, Tribe on a Quest, and uh, Facebook and also Twitter. Um, currently, the only thing that we have going on, we're pretty quiet on our social media platforms just because of... Uh, COVID things, but also the racial um, unrest that's happening in the country. I want to make sure that that my platform is um, not distracting from the messages that need to be getting, um, I guess, transmitted across social media. So we've just been pretty quiet across social media, but hopefully picking back up soon. And once I get some of this content cleared out on my YouTube. The next big thing for us is going to be full-time RV life. So, you know, if you're interested in being in an RV full-time or interested in RV travel, if you just want to see RV travelers of color, then make sure to subscribe and check us out and please send me messages. I try my best to respond to them. I'm a little behind because hashtag mom life, but I love interacting with my tribe. I don't just use that word loosely. I really do consider, I don't consider them followers. I consider every single person person who follows my journey, a member of my tribe and of our family. So thank you so much, Dina, for having me. Um, I really appreciate it. And I appreciate your platform. And it has been an honor to be on your podcast today. So thank you. Thank you so much, Marquita. It's been amazing. So I will leave all of her links in the show notes. So if you didn't catch that, then you'll be able to hear that or, you know, be able to click on them in the show notes. Thank you so much, as always, for listening. Thanks for listening to the Special Needs Travel Podcast, a Lily and Magnolia travel production. If you like what you heard, please hit subscribe and leave a review. Travel is for everyone, no matter their ability. If you have any questions or you want to continue the conversation, I'm available on email at dina at lillianmagnoliatravel.com 
or you can reach my sponsor, www.travmarketmedia.com. I would love to hear from you. As always, I will see you real soon.